Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. pleasure to be here, and uh, every year that, that I'm invited back, I, I consider it a gift and an honor to speak to what I believe to be uh, one of the greatest groups of people, of young people um, in this world, and I don't mean that as hyperbole or in any manner an exaggeration of the true reflection of my heart. I'm so thankful to be here uh, with you guys, and I'm thankful for what God is doing in your lives. Um, I usually like to be funny and do like a little stand-up for like the first five minutes, but I don't have any time. I have no time. I have too many notes uh, for what we're about to speak on, and so um, I'm getting old, right? I already told you about the reader glasses, right? And, and again, they're real. Um, so uh, it's just happening. Pretty, pretty soon I'm going to be like Sam. You know, Sam, he has his glasses, and he's like... Anyway, <laughs> as I look across this room, there is so much that I consider. There's so much that goes through my head. For many of you you've, that, that, that where you've been here for a little bit, Brandon, you were talking about people that have just been here for a moment, people that have been here for, for a few seasons, years even. I've, I've heard those stories. We've, we've had those conversations. We've had conversations of, of individuals in this room where God has done magnificent works in your life. I've heard them. I've prayed over them. Uh, we've rejoiced. And so I've seen, I've, I've heard of how God reached down into your life, how he saved you, how he reconciled you back to himself. You and I... We had wandered from his care. We wandered from his watchful eye. We had even despised his name. There are people in this room, we mocked those who believed. And yet by God's grace, we stand here today redeemed. We were the, we were the scoffers. We were the ones who, who had the, the witty comment in response to a brother, a sister, a friend, a coworker, a, a peer in, in your class. And yet out of his mercy, he redeemed you. He purchased you, happily paying the price. He paid the price of your sin, thus exchanging in the most inequitable way, thus exchanging your life with his very own death. That's what he did. I see God's faithfulness. He has patiently and carefully watched over his body. Amen? Amen? And he's given us his grace. He's given us his mercy. He's been patient with us. He's been long-suffering over us. He's allowed us to enter into his work, to be co-laborers with, with, with his son, to, to, to labor together with the firstborn among the dead, the firstborn of those who called upon him. I find it so incredible that, that there are people in this room 
God has given you the ability to travel across this country, some even across this world, sharing the gospel with others who need Christ. Wow. That's what God's done in there, in this room, with these people. He's given an eternal purpose that far exceeds any worldly pursuit. Truly, God has been good to us. I see young people who are zealous to do the work of the Lord, learning to disciple others, learning to lead small groups, making mistakes, and then learning from those mistakes. And unfortunately, as we all know too well, as I look across this room, I see that there are some who are no longer with us. Yes, we praise the Lord for the individuals who have joined, and, and, and we pray for you that God would do a mighty work in you, that he would make you a, a mighty fortress in the ministry. And yet we're not blind to the fact that we see that there are some people in our lives that aren't here today. They were here last year. They were here last year, but they're not here today. They've become strangled by the world, maybe by their own pride, or failed to count the cost. As I survey, I see believers at various stages of their walk with the Lord. And it truly is an awesome sight. But you know what I see most in this room? Most of all, of everything that I see in this room, of all the things that come to mind, I see Potential. I see potential. You know, you know, potential versus kinetic potential is that standing energy that's about to be, boom, put into motion. I see potential in this room. As we worship the Lord and now as we, as we listen to his word, so much potential to literally change. And I pray that you can hear this and even believe the very words that are coming out of my mouth as true I believe that there is so much potential in this room that we can actually change the course of our families. That you have the opportunity to change the course of your father. You can change the course of your mom. You can change the course of a sister or a brother, a cousin, an, an uncle, a nephew, a niece. You can change the course of a grandfather who maybe took care of you or provided, but you know he still doesn't know the Lord. I am fully convinced that the potential of this room is capable of making such damage into the kingdom of the wicked one. I believe it. To alter the very fabric of our homes, to cast aside the generational sin that has plagued you and your loved ones for years, and you know what that is. I believe in this room there is an opportunity for God to do that work that the potential is right there. I see future disciple makers, small group leaders, deacons, pastors, church planters, and missionaries. I see in this room, I, I truly do, but and if this does not come to pass, then it must be clear to all of us. I see that potential. 
But if that does not come to pass where God works in your life to change your family, to change your home, to, to break the chains of generational sin in your life, I believe that that is the possibility. But and if that does not happen, let it be known to you and let it be clear to all of us that we have failed this generation. That we have failed this people. That we have failed in our sphere of influence. There is no other conclusion. There is none. This is not a call to be awesome. This is not a call to be better, to try harder as a Christian, or to show this world how great we are or how spiritual we can be. But rather, this is a call for us tonight to simply obey the Lord, to just obey Him, to sing the words that we've sung, to hear the words of Scripture, to hear the teaching of His Word and say, I will. I'll do it. I have nothing else that I'm living for. I'm in. I will obey you, Lord. To obey him with a fervor that is deserving of his name. So out of that, can I just say one thing before we get started? I am now old enough to know that this life is far shorter than we even realize. I am now old enough to realize I have a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 7-year-old. I'm old. I realize it. Just yesterday, I was sitting in those very chairs. Just yesterday. Just yesterday. We were in the college ministry at Kansas City Baptist Temple. Just yesterday. I used to be that big brother to the college students. Just yesterday I was a college student, and now I'm old enough to be your father. I can see how quickly this life passes, and I now have enough regret in my life to fill up this room. I, so many missed opportunities, so many times where I was a respecter of persons, wasted opportunities, times where I failed to stand up for what was right. Today and this weekend, we will all be making choices. Do you believe that? Some that will last a weekend. Some that will last until mission focus. Some that will last until all church retreat. Maybe for some of you, you will make decisions this weekend, and I believe it to be the case. Some of you will make decisions even up until the day you're married. Some of you will make decisions even up until the day that you have children. Some of you will even make decisions, and I say that possibly one or two. In a room this size, possibly one or two. There may be one. There may be two. Where you will make a decision that may last your entire life. And it can happen tonight. You could make the choice to give your life to Christ. You could make the choice to dedicate your whole existence to the service of your king. And you could say, listen, my agenda's over. And you could mean it. And you could follow through with it. Do you guys believe that that's possible tonight? We have an opportunity to make a difference in our communities, 
to more deeply fall in love with God, to commune with him, to know of his ways and share that with the world. And yet likewise, what is unfortunately the case for more of us, there is a high possibility that we will give in to the pressures and temptations of this world and what a shame that would be. So listen, how are you going to return home? How are you going to return home? Yes, we just got here. We just started. How am I going to return home? Yes. You need to begin asking that question right now. And I pray that you, I, I have your attention at this moment. Are you asking that question? How am I planning on going home? How am I planning on returning back to that world? What is, what is the motivation? What's the goal? How am I going to live this life? Please don't wait until the end of the message. The choice needs to begin right now. Not tomorrow, not next week, but now. We need to begin laying the foundation for what truly can be a lifetime of serving our Lord. I'd like for us, before we pray and get into our main text for tonight, I'd like for us to turn in our Bibles or follow along on the screen to 2 Samuel chapter 12. This is not our main passage tonight, but it will lead us appropriately into our topic of discussion. 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 9. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. It's you. David, it's you. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. David was furious. How could such wicked behavior go on without retribution? And when Nathan said to David, what did he say? It's you. It's you, David. You were that rich man. It's you. You're the guilty one. Thou art the man. Tonight, as we begin our series, this, 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 this two-evening study, if you will, I pray that we could begin walking in to this study and asking ourselves, God, is it me? Is it me? 
Thou art the man, God, are you speaking about me? As we begin our text, we must confront ourselves and say, God, is it me? Have I so quickly forgotten mine own iniquity? Matthew chapter 26, verses 20 through 22. Now when the even was come, he, Jesus, sat down with the twelve, and as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it, is it I? Am I the one? And yet I believe in a room like this that for some of us we are even still after I am imploring you to ask that very question, you won't. You won't. As we enter into prayer, before we enter into our main text, may we ask the simple question, is it I? Or may we be bold enough to say, Lord, this story is about me, isn't it? This story is about me, isn't it? You're talking to me tonight. I'm not the hero, am I? I'm not the, I'm not the hero. I'm the villain, aren't I? I'm the suspect. I'm the victim. I'm the one who's done wrong. Father, I ask that you'd help us as we study your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. God, would you empty us of anything that is going to get in the way of hearing you speak? God, make us to be vessels of honor, and, and right now even empty vessels that are able to be filled by your word. God, we know for those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior that we have every bit of the Savior in us. We have every bit of the Spirit, but God, oh, would you fill us tonight? Fill us with your Spirit, Lord. Help us to live and walk out the measure of your words. Help us to rightly divide these words that are spoken so that we can properly execute them in our lives. And God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that tonight would be the day of salvation, that they would turn and repent of their sin and turn to you. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Please turn with me to Revelation chapter 1, if you will. I'd like to set up the context to get started. Revelation 1, we're going to read the whole chapter, if you will, and so please hang with me. Revelation 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John was given a message by Jesus of the events that were shortly to come to pass, saying, Blessed are those who read or hear this prophecy. Guess who that is? It's us. Blessed are those who hear or read this prophecy, for the time is at hand. I am praying that we likewise can enter into that company. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, now these seven churches will be the foci of our discussion over the next two days, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, 
and the firstborn begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. John is about to give a message to the seven churches in Asia Minor, and his message is from our Lord, saying that the one who gave us his life, who washed our sin-tainted blood with his own precious blood, and has made us to rule and reign with him, is coming again. So saints... It's time for us to get ready. This is the message. Verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos. John was exiled because of his faith. This is the apostle and forced to live on the island of Patmos. Patmos is a small island near Ephesus and Miletus. The island is only about 13 square miles in area. That means it's really small. To give a comparison, Lee Summit, I think I have a a, a little map here. Is that going to pop up? No, it's not. Boom. Yes, no. Coming up. Yes, thank you. The island of Patmos is the black area. That's Lee Summit, Missouri. This is a tiny island. John was put on this island. Why? (laughs) To get him out of our business. (laughs) Let's put him on this rinky-dink island where he can't have any more effect with the gospel, except the problem is is he was inspired by God and wrote the book of Revelation. (laughs) So at least Summit, this small little suburb town, is five times bigger than this island. John says, while he was on the island of Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, this is not Sunday. This is referring to an even still futuristic day of the Lord. And it says that John heard behind him a great voice as of a trumpet. Please pay attention, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. So John, who was sent into the future, is now given the responsibility to write a prophetic letter to these seven churches. As we delve further into this study, we see that this revelation was not only intended for their benefit, not only is there a historical application, but a prophetic and inspirational application as well, to be a benefit to all believers since this writing. You see, while, there, while these seven churches do have a historical record, meaning that they did exist around the time of John's writing in between 90 and 96 AD, they also stand in as representations spanning the entire church age in that each church mentioned that will be spoken of exemplifies a certain ethos or defining quality of a particular era throughout church history. Ephesus, and I think that's the next slide, thank you. Ephesus is the first church, and it is the first church we will discuss. 
The church of Ephesus pictures for us the time of the apostles leading up to 200 A.D. Smyrna gives us a time from 200 to 325 A.D. The church of Pergamos prophetically speaks of a time when Constantine will make Christianity the state religion from around 325 to 500 A.D. Thyatira represents what is now uncommonly called the Dark Ages, as it truly was a dark time in the history of the church. Historians now refer to this time as the Medieval or Middle Ages. This period lasted from 500 to 1,000. And Sardis occupies another 500-year time from 1,000 to 1,500 A.D. This would be the time of the Crusades. This would be the time of the, uh, the, the almost 1,400s, the Spanish Inquisitions. Following up on Sardis, we have the Church of Philadelphia. This church represents a time frame from 1500 or the Reformation up to about 1900. And it is called the Church of the Open Door. And lastly, we have Laodicea, the church of today. It is the church of the closed door. This is the last church listed of the seven churches in Asia Minor. Now, before we dive deeper into the churches, let's consider what John saw as he was about to dip his quill into the ink. Closing out Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, it says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. It's a very common thing to do. Someone speaking to me, I turn, right? And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment to the foot, and girt about with the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace." And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a, two, uh, with a, went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I felt his feet dead. Yes, I imagine so. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. That actually doesn't make it better, right? <laughs> I'm still like... Still, God, uh, you're terrifying. <laughs> I am he that liveth and was dead. Still not better. And behold, I am alive ever, forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. This image is beyond comprehension. We see on full display before John this beautiful display of God's glory. He sees our Lord standing in the midst of seven candlesticks. He is standing there in all of his glory and power. And these seven candlesticks, which are the seven churches, are flickering, just flickering in his presence, just simply trying to give just a little bit of light to magnify him. Such a humble display in the presence of the one who magnifies his own light. Such a humble display in the presence of the Son. 
This weekend, I pray God's word will be used to pick up those who have fallen and to give instruction to the overcomers. To the overcomers. This is the prayer of my heart this week, is that we would be overcomers. After all, this is the needed message of the church in crisis. Not only that we would overcome, but knowing that he already has overcome. And he promises us a victory that has already been accomplished. The word overcome appears more times in the general epistles and revelation, 18 times, than the rest of the Bible altogether. Is that strange to you? That's kind of strange to me. That, that the word overcome appears more times in the general epistles and the book of Revelation than the entire rest of the book. It, it appears 18 times in the general epistles and Revelation. 11 times in Revelation, 5 times in 1 John, and 2 times in 2 Peter. It's interesting that the books that are focused on the end times would have such a focus on overcoming the wickedness of this world. Almost as if this is a message that we need to hear. We find in John 16, Christ says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in, ye might have, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have, as if it had already been done, overcome the world. Romans 12, 2, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. What a great message for the church. Tonight, we're going to be looking into Revelation chapter 2. In this chapter, we are going to see John's instruction for two of the seven churches. And in each case, John will begin by highlighting a specific characteristic of God that is needful for each and every church age. He will then mirror that with a characteristic of the church, followed by a warning, and conclude the exhortation with a challenge for those who overcome as we walk through our study, I'd like for all of us to keep a certain question in mind. For each church age that we study, as we walk through Revelation 2 and 3, I pray that there's a certain question that can occupy our minds, that can stay on the forefront of our thoughts. And that question is simply this. As we walk upon and through the churches, can I ask the question, did I just describe you? Did I just describe you? Can we look at a simple question like that? And can that be on the, the forefront of our minds? Did I just describe you as we talk about a certain church? Was that you? Do you guys, do you guys know when you're in a conversation and someone's talking and, and they're like, can you believe it? And in the back of your head you're going, that's me. And you feel guilty. Could you believe someone would do that? And you're thinking, I did that yesterday. I'm, I'm about to do that to you. You gave me a good idea. Right? I pray that, that as we're walking through the churches, that we, would, that we would all, all of us, as we just walk through church history, that we would be able to say, God, is it me? Is it I? Thou art the man. Can we do that? Can we do that together? As we read about these seven churches, would you be willing to look at the portraits to see if it's your face being painted? Let's begin with Ephesus. Ephesus was a... Fully purposed church. Ephesus was a fully purposed church. 
They were a church that understood the mission of God and were purposed to see it accomplished. Ephesus represents a time from 29 A.D. up until about 200 A.D. This would be immediately following the resurrection through the Acts of the Apostles to what is commonly called the time of the early church fathers. They were fully purposed yet poorly equipped as the word of God for most of the time was not even complete until about 90 or somewhere around 96 A.D., the word of God was not canonized until about 150 A.D., and so in the midst of that, you have sometimes even early church fathers who are writing their own bits and pieces about the gospel, and guess what? There starts to become dual authorities and confusion as to what is the inspired word of God, and so With Ephesus, we have a fully purposed church, yet they are woefully unprepared in the sense of their equipping. And yet, despite that, despite their lack of equipping, according to Acts 17.6, it says that these believers turned the world upside down with the gospel. Revelation 2.1, it begins this way. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So how does Christ portray himself to the Ephesus church? To the Ephesus church, to the church that was fully purposed, God exemplifies himself as one holding seven stars in his hand and as our Lord walking among the seven candlesticks. So what do we make of that? That sounds so abstract and so romantic in its moment, but what what can we make of that statement? Well, what we find is that Ephesus was the first church. Thus, Christ is pictured still holding all of the seven stars. What do the stars represent? They represent, well, the stars represent the angels, right? And so the seven stars are still in his hand, and he is likewise beginning his walk. He's just beginning his walk through what? The seven candlesticks, and the seven candlesticks are flickering in the presence of Almighty God. What are the seven candlesticks? The churches. Christ still has in his hand the seven angels who were going to represent and love and protect and guide the churches. And yet he's still in the midst of these churches. What does this represent? The work has just begun. The work was just beginning. In Ephesus, the work, the the gospel, the church age, it was just beginning. In this, Christ is seen as the prime mover. Christ is the prime mover. He is the one who places us in the work in the first place. Colossians 1.17, it says, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Ephesus pictures for us. Okay, so we're all like, oh, this is kind of interesting. I'm learning about history and, you know, yada, yada, and all that's cool and, and uh, whatever. But, but, but can, we, can we put ourselves in Ephesus? Can we put ourselves in Ephesus just for a moment? Ephesus pictures for us a new work. It's a new work. It's exciting. It's gritty. And it's honest. There's no polish. Just power. It's when someone comes to your church and they're asking you if you have a children's ministry. And you're like, yeah. And they come and they realize that they're the children's ministry. (laughs) Whatever you need. 
What other kids go here? And you're like, just yours. It's gritty, it's new, it's exciting, but, but you don't have the resources. Sometimes you don't have the proper equipping even, and you're still learning. There's no polish, but there is power. It's a new small group, and oh man, it's the first time that you ever, you've ever done it. And, 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 and this, this lady is, is, is ushering you in to the spotlight of leading the small group, and you're like, you know, trying to like, you know, fight it you know, all the way, and you're like, hey guys, thanks for coming to my house. Brownies? You're like, like, I think I did it right. I think I did it good. And they're like, let's pray. You know, and you're like, you know, trying to grab at yourself. You guys know what I'm talking about? Do you guys know the nervousness? Miles is like, no, I've never done that. You've done that. You guys know what I'm talking about. That new work, that new opportunity. You, you've been discipled. You've gone through D2, and all of a sudden someone's saying, hey, um, man, you've been here. You've shown yourself faithful. We'd love to, to put this person with you. We'd love to have you disciple this individual. And you about want to pee your pants. And at the same time, you're just saying, oh, God, this is so awesome. This is so great. I can't believe it. Oh, God, would you, the, you want me to be in this work? I don't know what I'm doing. He goes, I know. But listen, <laughs> it's going to be great. That's Ephesus. Can you relate now? Can you relate now? There's no polish, just power. But we can see Christ's hands all over the work. Verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. And hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience. And for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. So how is Ephesus portrayed? You see, they're known as a church who labored in the ministry. They're patient, but not as it relates to sin. They wouldn't allow evil to have a place. They were consecrated unto the Lord. They tried false prophets, and they found them to be liars. Did you see that? How could a church know when a false prophet is a liar? When they know the truth. When they know the truth. This group of people, they knew the truth. They wouldn't allow evil to have a place. They found these false teachers, these individuals who were teaching wrong doctrine, and they said, not here, bucko. (laughs) Not here. It's not going to fly. The church knew how to spot a fake. You're having a Bible study. God has given you this Bible. You've you've done the Bible study for years now. Maybe you're a little experienced. Some guy comes in. What do they do? They try to take over the Bible study. You You know what most of the group does? Sorry, bro. No dice, right? It's not gonna happen here. It's not gonna work. Why? Because you can spot a fake. So they tried the false prophets. And in the midst of all the false teachers, they didn't faint. They were believers resting on doctrinal purity. This church that was led by Timothy following Paul's guidance, and as was instructed, they held to right doctrine. And they refused to compromise when it came to sin. Man, guys, this sounds like my kind of church. So where was the warning? So what is the warning? Revelation 2, 4 says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You see, in Ephesus, things were moving. 
this church, it was going places. In fact, it would be difficult to say, I'm sorry, it wouldn't be difficult to say that this was the model church for all the other churches to follow. Man, you wanted to go to Ephesus, a church that we'd aspire to be like. And yet, in the midst, please hear this, guys, in the midst of their right purpose, in the midst of their right doctrine, in the midst of their right ministry, and in the midst of their right character, they had left their first love. In the midst of all of those things, all the boxes were being checked, but in the midst of all of that good, they had left their first love. Listen, you see this. The danger of the church that is too busy in the work of God is always that the purposes of God become preferred to the person of God. The purposes of God thus become our preference to his very person. The work then is more sought out than the one you were, that, that, that placed you in the work. The ministry, it becomes intoxicating. The results become exhilarating. And yet communion is lacking. If you're finding yourself in this position where you have fallen more in love with the work of God than the person of God, Christ wants to give you a warning. Verse 5. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So what does the Lord say to us even today? He says, remember from where you fell. Remember from where you've fallen. You've got to trace back those steps. We've got to go back to the scene. Where did it all go wrong? When did you replace Mary with Martha? When did it all change? Wasn't it better when you were seated at the feet of Christ? God says this. He says, do the first works. Do the first works. Come back or you will be replaced. And yet Jesus doesn't close on a down note with this church. Verse 6, he says, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Such a kind of a big word. What that means is basically that the Nicolaitans were a priestly class. Even in the first century, it was a priestly class who was ruling over. Nike, Nico, means victory, Right? And we see laetans, that would mean people, so victory or conquerors over the people. Let me help you understand the scriptures. I'm your conqueror. You guys see that? Today we treat them as our pastors. Pastor, preach the word. And I want to be like, how about you? How about you study it some? We have our heroes, when in all reality we need to be the ones who are serving Christ just the same. The Nicolaitans were a priestly class, much like the Catholic Church of today. And Christ says, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. To the overcomers, if you want to be an overcomer in the age of Ephesus... If you want to be an overcomer who even is in the model church... The church who, who is doing all the right things, you got the right purposes, the right doctrine, the right ministry philosophy, you have all the right answers. 
to be the church that overcomes, to be the church where every member is a ministry, every saint, every member is a minister, every saint a servant. He says, you know what you need? He says, you need to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise. Now, clearly, if we want to look at this from a doctrinal perspective, this is clearly a reference to eternity future. Okay, and I hope you guys can see that. I'm not going to spend time on that. But this is a reference to eternity future, beyond the church age, further than the tribulation, past the millennium, and following the white throne judgment. But what can we take from what appears to be a little bit like a strange statement? You want to have victory, fully purposed church? You want to have victory? <laughs> he says, I want you to eat of the tree of life. And you're like, that's weird. <laughs> like, how is that an answer? That I will eat of the tree of life? This is what Christ is saying. He says, listen, child. You left. You left me. You left me. You left me for all the other things. And you know what you really need? What you really need is not to do all those things. What you really need is you need nourishment. You need nourishment. You need to be fed. And I want to be the one that feeds you. Not just from any tree, but from the tree of life. You need to find yourself where? In paradise. You need to find yourself back in my presence. You see, you left your place with me for something else, even if it is ministry. You left your place with me, and, you, and you've wandered somewhere else. Once again, God says, listen, Ephesus, church, you've done well. He's not being sarcastic. It's a sincere statement. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you for what you've done. I'm so proud of you for what you've accomplished. Oh, man, you make me so proud of, 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 of how much you love the world and you love my son. Man, you love serving me. But guys, somewhere in the midst of it all, son, you, son or daughter, you left your first love. You left it. And you found another love. It's not necessarily for wickedness, but you departed. And it's time to come back. And for those who do turn back, he says, I'll feed you. I'll feed you. I'll walk with you in the midst of paradise. What did he say? I have the seven stars in my hand, and I am in the midst of the candlesticks walking. He says, I'll walk with you, and I'll feed you. Yes, you've wandered, but I can feed you once again. Did I just describe you? Did I just describe you? If so, you now have the answer. Stop working and start resting. Stop serving and start resting once again. Stop working, start eating, stop serving, start, rest, start resting. Let's finish our time this evening with one more church. Let's look at the church of Smyrna. Smyrna was a church just north of Ephesus, but prophetically we see it operating during 200 to 325 A.D. This was a church full of bitterness and death. It's as if we go from one extreme to the other. We have one church that is fully purposed, and we have another church that is full of bitterness and death. The word Smyrna is closely related to myrrh. Myrrh is a fragrance that's given for funerals. 
there was great persecution against the church during this time, with an estimated 7 million graves constructed in the catacombs of Rome, filled by many Christians. There were 10 Roman imperial persecutions during this very short time, only a period of 125 years, and yet there are 10 Roman imperial persecutions that take place in this time. Brothers and sisters, this was a difficult and bloody time. It provided a violent display of what was happening during this time. I want to give you just a few examples, a few examples of the persecution during this time. Boiling pitch. You guys know what pitch is, like like a tar? Boiling pitch was poured on the heads of believers, and then they would be set on fire. Boiling oil would be poured on a naked body, then lit at night for festivities. Individuals would be tied to horses and dragged to death. People would be placed, I'm I'm speaking of Christians, by the way. Believers, individuals just like you who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and would not recant their faith because it was worth it to them. It says that believers were placed in leather bags And the bags had snakes and scorpions in them, and then they would throw them into a river. While they were drowning, they were being stung and bit to death. Babies of believers were thrown into the air and caught on spears. Wild animal skins were sewn onto Christians, sewn onto Christians. And then they were eaten alive by ravaged dogs and countless other atrocities. It is said at times that the devil operates in two arenas, either as an angel of light where he is set on deceiving the church with false doctrine, or as a roaring lion set to devour the bride of Christ. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says that Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. But I want to be very clear as I speak about this church that during the age of Smyrna, the angel of light is only in the shadows. Satan is fiercely seen as a devouring lion. This is a brutal time in church history under the wicked tyranny of imperial Rome. And at times, for the church, at times it feels as if there is no hope to be had. Revelation 2.8, it says, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last. These are the characteristics of Christ. And once again, those characteristics are to help us recognize how and in what way he, 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 he desires to help and assist his church. So he says, I am the first and the last which was dead and is alive. So how is Christ... How does Christ portray himself to the church of Smyrna? To the church who only sees pain and death all around, where it feels like there is no hope. Christ says, for those who believe that there's no hope in their life, there's no rescue. You know what Christ says? He says, I was here before these days, and I will be here even after. When this season passes, I will remain. 
and our fellowship will remain. I am the first and I am the last. He understands that there is heartache all around. Yet I also, he says, I also died. I also gave my life. I also exhibited such pain for the glory that is due unto his name. I gave up my life as well. And now, even now, you see that I am alive. Wow. For the church that's going through remarkable pain, for the Christian that's in this room who is struggling. It was said even earlier tonight, Seth was even saying, I know that there's a lot of people here that are in dark places. For those of you who are in those dark places, even right now, the answer to your problem, the answer to this dilemma is for us to recognize that he is the first and the last. He was dead. He went through that suffering, but yet right now he is also alive. To the church of Smyrna, Christ says, I understand exactly what you're feeling. And I know your name. I only will remain. Not the ruthless dictators. Not the individuals who are so against you, who are, who are uh, so painful in your life that only seek to make you feel miserable or awful about who you are. Maybe it's even someone who knows you close enough and you gave your life to Christ. And every single day, you know what they're saying? I thought you were a Christian. And they're antagonizing you. And, they're, and they're, they're just jabbing the, the, the spears of, of doubt and dismay and pain. And every day, it kind of hurts a little bit more. <laughs> and you go to church and you go to retreats and you're just hoping that maybe the retreat, I'm about ready to slip, but maybe the retreat will be just what I need to help me keep going. I want to tell you something right now, that he is the first and the last. And he will be here with you. He was here before with you, before the trial, and he will be with you even after the trial. They will come and go. Yes, they may take your life. And in Smyrna, that was absolutely the case. But only I am able to give you life eternal. Revelation 2.9, it says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not but are the synagogue of Satan. So how is the church of Smyrna portrayed? Christ says, I see your tribulation. He says, I see your poverty. You've lost everything for the cause of Christ. All of your friends are gone. All of your old friends are gone. They don't know what to make of you. You were popular. Maybe you had a... a, a, a particular career or field, maybe you were studying something, and you even right now, even at times, don't you guys play it out in your mind? Don't you guys play it out in your mind what could have been if you didn't follow Christ? If I, but if I, if I wouldn't have given my life to Christ, I could have been this. And Do you guys see how you're starting to daydream? You see, you guys see how you're, you're daydreaming, you're thinking about what it would be like, and yet at times of clarity we realize that our lives were falling apart? They're falling apart without him. But yet in the flesh, doesn't it do this? Doesn't it remind you? Man, you you could have been a big shot. You could have been really good. Man, man, you saw your portfolio. You saw saw all the ways in which you were top of the class. And we start to despair. Because the people around us, they don't even know what to make of you. Man, Dan was a cool dude, but then he gave his life to Christ. And I I don't know, man. 
I don't know. Psalm 88, 18 can feel like a reality at times. Lover and friend, hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintance into darkness. Psalm 31, 11, I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors and a fear to mine acquaintance. They that did see me without fled from me. Job 19, 13 through 15, he hath put my brethren far from me and mine acquaintance are very estranged from me. My kinsfolk have failed, and my familiar friends have forgotten me. They that dwell in mine house and my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. After you chose to follow Christ, can you relate? Can you relate? Opportunities at work pass you by because of your faithful walk. Many of your family, they don't even understand and they seem concerned. They, they're concerned for you. All the while, you're just desperately trying to get them to see their sincere need for Christ. You've been ostracized by your community, and sometimes you don't even know how you're going to keep going. But Christ, who sees all, says, and while it may be hard to see at this moment, Christ says at this moment, you're rich. You're rich. Yes, I've seen your tribulation. I've seen your trials. I've seen the difficulty. I've seen the hurt. I've seen the pain. I've even seen your poverty. But listen, you're not poor. You're rich. You're rich. What God has given you, you're rich. And oh, if we could truly see how rich we are. So where is the warning for the Smyrna church? And what is our hope? Verse 10, it says, Fear none of those things which, shalt, which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Christ says, Yes, I know it will be hard, but fear none of those things. Notice that Christ does not promise that the suffering will go away. He says, you don't need to be, be afraid of it. You don't need to fear it. In Smyrna, people were being cast into prison, falsely tried, and many thousands suffered great hardship and even death. In Smyrna, we see an underground church in this age, just like the catacombs that were being built during this time, it was a brutal time in the history of the church where Roman persecution was almost without end. So how can we relate? How can we relate to such a savage time in our own history? For some, maybe it is not the grotesque Roman persecution but it is true that right now Satan is trying to crush you, and you know it. And even right now, even getting here to this retreat was a battle. And Satan is trying to even right now crush you. Can you feel it? Am I describing you right now? Everywhere you look, there is conflict and tribulation as a result of your faith. Sometimes it doesn't even feel worth it. You're struggling to stand, and yet it feels like all your steps are removed. Can you relate to Ace of Psalm 73 too? But as for me, my feet were almost gone. 
My steps had well nigh slipped. But Christ says, don't fear. Be faithful unto death. Yes, the world is closing in, and you feel like there is no escape, only there is escape. There is escape. And that escape is found of all places. It's found in your death. The escape that you're looking for, Christian, the escape that you're desiring as the walls are closing in and it feels like the world is becoming more and more of an intimidation and you feel like you're failing and you feel like you don't know what to do and you feel like giving up. And I'm telling you, there is an escape. There's a window for you. And that escape is found in your death. What? Yeah, it's found in your death. I'm not speaking of self-harm or even some other physical death or of just offing yourself. The death death that I speak of is that of a spiritual death. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which now I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me And gave himself for me. The spiritual release is a death to your agenda. A death to the old man. So then the answer to death is death. The way to not fear physical death is to be spiritually dead to the old man. But unlike the lost world who will always have this... I'm sorry, unlike the lost world who will have to fear a second death... Those who don't know Christ, they will have to fear a second death. This spiritual death for the believer will be the last one you ever experience. And you'll be forever free, even in the midst of trial. Don't you know it? That's how people that, you you talk about Christians and and missionaries and individuals, and they, they speak about unspeakable harm and unspeakable pain, and you're just thinking, how did you do it? You want to know how they did it? They were already dead. Poke me a hundred times. I don't care. I'm I'm with the Lord. Whatever you want to do. Shoot me. Whatever. Do some crazy thing. I I don't even know what to say because no one's ever tried to shoot me. So I'm like, like, I don't know. Hit me. (laughs) But I'm telling you, Sam Miles, Pastor Sam Miles, he used to always say, man, the worst thing you could do to me is is, shoot me in the face and I'm dead. And then guess what? I'm promoted to heaven. He's like, is that all you could do? So, so your, your best against what will be my worst day is actually my best day, as I'm then with the Lord. To the overcomers of this age, the Lord says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life, and you will not be hurt by the second death. There's some of you who have been serving the Lord, and I may be, maybe I'm describing you right now, You've been in a rough place. You're getting tired. It feels like turning to the world would be easier. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It feels like turning to the world would be easier. Everywhere you turn, it feels like you're in a dark place. And you don't know how you're going to continue. Can I just say this? Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. God has such a great plan for you. 
even in the midst of all of this, God wants you to know that you're not living for this life. He wants, he wants you to know that this is not the life that you're living for. You're living for another city. You're living for another life. In fact, you're dying in this life to be crowned in the life to come. That's the recipe. It's worth it. There's a crown coming. And maybe that seems foreign now. But I'm telling you, one second into eternity, when Christ gives you that crown, you will know in that moment that it was worth it all for the glory of his name. And guys, here's the cool thing. Here's the great thing about it. It just it, it blows my mind. For those of us who will have endured such atrocities, and there will be so many Christians that will be receiving this crown of, of, of suffering and of tribulation to where they, they, were giving, they were willing to give up their lives for the cause of Christ. The most amazing thing is that when we finally enter into his presence, that the Lord God Almighty is going to give you a crown. That's incredible. That's incredible. But guys, even more than that, as I pray that, 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 that we do, that, 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 we, that we are able to receive those rewards, I pray that even as that is the case, that we realize that there's an even better opportunity for us. And the opportunity that still exists, the cool thing that, that still is on the other side of that is that upon receiving these crowns, Smyrna, upon receiving these crowns, if you are that believer who, yes, it's dark, it's difficult, it feels like there's no hope, but you say in the midst of it all, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep moving. I can't, I'm not going to worry about what the world says or what my family say or what my education is about to say. I'm going to follow the Lord. If that's you, and oh man, as we all are, are standing before the Lord and, and, and man, whatever procession that's going to look like, it's going to blow our minds. But as God gives you that crown, do you know what the greatest thing about that will be? that the one thing that you will want to do in that moment is to cast them all back at his feet. For it was worth it all. It was worthy. The life, the tribulation, the trials, the heartache, the difficulty, the counseling, the discipleship, the failed discipleship, all of the times in which you, you desired to serve God, but you felt like you were failing, and you felt like you were the worst Christian in the whole room. And in every way, you felt like, God, I can't keep doing this anymore. And yet you kept going. And you kept moving. And you kept serving. And you kept tripping. And you kept failing. But you said, I'm not going to stop. I'm not stopping until I see his face. The greatest thing about all of this is that the only thing that you're going to want to do is to cast him right back at his feet. God, you're the one who's worthy. It's you, Lord. And do you know what you'll say? I, I know what we're going to say. I know what we're going to say. You know what you're going to say? Surely, I was an unprofitable servant. I did simply what I was told to do. To you alone be glory. Amen. We're going to pray. And maybe we can have the praise team come forward. I don't know. Brandon, if you want to lead in some way, that's fine. Or...
okay? Maybe tonight, it's Thursday night. Maybe tonight we need to make a decision based upon what we just heard from the Word of God. Maybe you are the Ephesus church and you are fully purposed. And man, you are involved in ministry and things are working and things are going and and it feels like all the engines are running. The only problem is, is that while the car started moving, you left God at the station. And we're just going. And it's like, isn't ministry great? Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to come forward as we praise the Lord. Maybe you need to find a place where you're seated. Maybe tonight you need to say, God, I'm so thankful that you've put me even in a, in a midtown or a living faith or, or what have you. But God, I don't want to be the Christian who has left you for sake of the ministry. Maybe tonight you need to, to say, God, I'm confessing to you that that's me. I don't know. Maybe we need to do that right now. Maybe you're on the flip side. Maybe you're saying, you know what? I don't think I can recognize myself as Ephesus, but I sure can see myself as Smyrna. There's been so many times where I felt like giving up, or there's been so many times where I felt like I, I wasn't good enough, or there's been so many times where I felt like I was the worst. And man, we just need to give that to the Lord and say, God, you will remain. You are faithful. You are the first and the last. Maybe tonight you need to be a person that says, listen, it will be worth it all when I see Jesus. And whatever he gives to you, you're going to say, God, you are the one who's been worthy of it. So let's stand. Let's, let's get ready to praise the Lord. I'm going to pray for you. If while I pray, you can stand. Yeah. While I pray, if you want to come forward, if you want to pray with the person who brought you, or maybe just on your own, that's great. I'm not going to try to force any type of confession or any type of, of uh, altar call, but if God is calling you right now, don't resist. Father, we want to pray that, God, you speak in our hearts and lives as we praise you, that, God, we would not resist your spirit even now. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things knowing you are faithful. Amen. Please come forward if God is calling you. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.